Our studies in 1 Peter continue in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The Bible teaches in the book of Acts and in the epistles that after local churches were formed, as soon as they had qualified men, elders were appointed. Let's review. Acts 14.23, elders being appointed in local churches. Acts 20 and verse 17, elders in the church at Ephesus. Qualifications are given in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. Elders are mentioned in Hebrews 13, in James chapter 5, and here again in 1 Peter chapter 5. So, it is clear, after local churches were formed, as soon as they had qualified men, elders were appointed to oversee the local work. Now, we must carefully preserve scriptural objectivity when we approach this subject. My understanding of this subject should be influenced by only one thing, what the scriptures teach. I must not form a whole host and set of my personal opinions about what an elder should be, and then take those opinions with me into the study of the text. That's an absence of objectivity. I must not let my understanding of elders be influenced by some bad experience I've had or some experience I've heard about or hear about. That's not the way to form a good, objective view of this subject. We must not just assume that elders are like business managers and let the business world determine what we practice. There is only one way to form an accurate view of elders and their work, and that is to be influenced by only one thing, what the Word of God says. So, verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 5, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Let's pause there. This begins clearly as an exhortation from the Apostle Peter to the elders. 
Apparently, in the churches located in Asia Minor, there were elders, men appointed based on the qualifications given by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Peter addressed these men with this exhortation. Notice how Peter identifies himself with the elders, where he says, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. This makes his exhortation more personal. This was an inspired apostle writing to elders, but this was also an elder writing to elders, and this was also a writer writing this instruction by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Add another level to that. He describes himself as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. The apostle Peter was present as an eyewitness when Jesus endured all that pain and suffering and death. All of this concerns what they shared together, Peter and those he was writing to. Peter witnessed the sufferings of Christ. The recipients of this epistle lived in a time of suffering for Christians. We can presume faithful elders were part of that experience of suffering in Asia Minor. But all of them, as they remained faithful, could rejoice in being partakers of the glory to be revealed. God will eventually cause great, perfect, lasting glory to be revealed for his people who do what is right and entrust their souls to him. Because of Christ, we can anticipate and cherish this hope. So chapter 5 begins with the Apostle Peter addressing elders. I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. To this I will add one of the constants in the New Testament is for God's people suffering is consummated in glory. More about that in my takeaways. In verses 2 and 3, Peter writes directly to the work of elders, and this is one of the clearest passages in the New Testament concerning the elders' work. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Let's go back and start with this basic statement. Two elders, the apostle said, shepherd the flock of God among you. We have, over several generations, become more accustomed to the word elders. I see a good trend among churches I'm familiar with using the term shepherds. Shepherds do about three basic things. They feed and watch and protect. Feed, watch, 
and protect. But all three are based on their love for God and for his word, and therefore their love and care for people. In those areas, elders are to function. Elders are to be certain the members of the flock are fed. This aspect of the word shepherd is so embedded in the word. If you have the King James, you are looking at the first phrase in verse 2 that reads, feed the flock. The spiritual food is the word of God. Faithful elders will feed the flock. Make certain everyone is fed with the only healthy spiritual diet there is, God's word. Shepherds must watch the flock. Now, that's also part of the word shepherd, uh, but it's separated out here, expressed in that phrase, exercising oversight. Literally, looking over, watching. This is not watching hoping to find fault. This is not watching in the sense of intrusion or an effort to dominate everything about someone's life. This is oversight with reference to spiritual welfare. Elders deal with people and talk to people and get to know people and rebuke and offer spiritual counsel and pray, encouragement, take needs into account. That's all wrapped up in that word shepherd. And then, of course, in that word shepherd, in this context, not only feeding and watching, protecting. That means you're aware of threats, vigilant with reference to false teachers, meddlers, troublemakers, and the gradual indifference that can easily set in over time through temptation. Hebrews 13, 17 teaches the work of elders is to watch on behalf of men's souls. Now, within this negative uh, or this positive instruction, there are negative modifiers. Uh, here, here this is in the New King James. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So you have what could be called some negative modifiers. Let's look at them. Not under compulsion. Peter explains that when he says voluntary voluntarily, according to the will of God. A group of Christians must never compel, force, or intimidate a brother to serve as an elder. There is no draft board. We don't want someone who doesn't want to serve in that way. God obviously doesn't want a man to be forced. <clears throat> Not for so a sordid gain. English Standard Version, not for shameful gain. King James, not for filthy lucre. In the heart of the elder, in those who ordain them, 
This motive should never be present. A man should not enter this office with the hope of financial gain. And then it says, with eagerness, obviously eager with reference to the spiritual welfare of the people according to the will of God. Go ahead and add into your study the next part of this in verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. To lord it over, as one translation says, is to dominate, to dictate, to hold people under autocratic control. In this domination, you forbid people to study and think for themselves. You stifle or discourage any legitimate self-expression. You take the flock as if it were your possession, and you control and rule with an iron fist. That's not to be. Notice the phrase also, those allotted to your charge, those entrusted to you. Now, this brings in the important concept of stewardship. The elder has a role of spiritual leadership over people who were owned by God. You know, Acts 20, 28 comes in here. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 is relevant to this. Acts 20 and verse 28. Do you remember this? Pray careful, uh, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, Paul said to the elders in Ephesus, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Elders are leader over leaders over people who were owned by God. Members of a local church are God's possession. And then I want you to notice this very important phrase that has a strong implication, among you. Elders are spiritual leaders only in the local churches where they were appointed. An elder cannot do this work anywhere, but only in the local church where he was appointed. And then we cannot overlook another important part of this, examples to the flock. We should see in the character of elders the kind of character commended in the New Testament. These men should be living examples of the biblical principles and virtues and character that we study in the Bible and that we preach when we deliver the gospel message. Great power in leadership is realized by the influence of example. Elders need to tell people. Elders are commanded to feed people. Elders need to talk to the people and know the people's spiritual needs, but all of that will have little impact if they're not living what is right before God. With a good example, there can be good leadership. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I mentioned just a moment ago, elders do not own the sheep. They are shepherds who 
oversee the sheep, feed them and protect them. This confirms ownership and likewise confirms stewardship because with stewardship, there's accountability. And if the accountability turns out that you did well, good and faithful servant, there's glory. See, there is a chief shepherd to whom we will all give account, elders included. He will appear and faithful elders will receive the unfading crown of glory. So this is motive and promise and a strong reminder of the one who is superior to every one of us and every elder and all the flock. There, there's a lot to unpack, finally, in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, it may not be a trending popular movement, but in the Bible, there is something called respect for the aged. Not just spiritual leaders in the broader context. In the Bible, there is a principle of respect for older people that runs throughout the entire document and totality of Scripture from God. I want to talk about that for just a moment or two. Leviticus 19.32, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. Job 12 and verse 12, wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. Exodus 20.12, honoring your parents. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.1, be sober and cautious about rebuking an older man. Now, None of this means that old people are incapable of sin. But all of this commends to us respect for the elderly. When we are younger and growing up, I know I can remember, I was admonished by my parents and by teachers at church to respect our elders meaning elderly people in general and elders in the local church in particular. In my home, I was taught, and some may think this extreme, but I was taught we were to always use Mr. and Mrs. or brother and sister with the last name. When I was in the Philippines in 1981, in that culture, when you entered someone's home, you always greeted the older people first. They would be introduced first. I'm disappointed that we have drifted from this standard of respect. But these earlier protocols seem to have faded in modern times. Now, if that is so about elderly people in general, it is certainly true of spiritual leaders. And that's punctuated all through the New Testament. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love 
because of their work. So this is a general respect that we ought to have for everyone, elderly people, and here, spiritual leaders. A general respect that ought to be widespread, but elderly people and spiritual leaders in particular. Now, just keep reading. Respect for everybody. Respect for one another. With humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility is something every Christian ought to wear, and wear well all the time toward everybody. In our thinking, attitude, interaction, treatment of people among us, humility. Seeing ourselves as we really are, as creatures made in the image of God, not esteeming ourselves more highly than we should. Uh, if, if I have time, perhaps at the end of the class, or if you would do this when you finish the video, read Philippians chapter 2. Pride destroys us before God and damages our relationship with others. Humility, however, is the good texture of all our relationships, the fabric of all of our relationships with each other, toward God, elders, each, others, uh, each other, in our families. Peter here says, with humility toward one another. And then he quotes Proverbs 3.34, and James also does that. In James chapter 4 and verse 6. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. One keynote of this passage is respect. I don't think it is an exaggeration at all to say that in modern times and in recent years, society in general has moved away from the virtue of respect. And this hurts everybody. It doesn't help families, the church, or the nation when we move away from respect. In God's word, this concept of humility, respect, and kindness, it's the fabric, the texture of how God expects us to think and speak and act toward people. When, when common grace and manners disappear from a society, goodwill isn't far behind. Something else that stands out in this passage is the value of having good leaders. The ideal is to have men who are qualified, according to the New Testament, to fill this role. And then mark that phrase, not for shameful gain. Some of you have the old King James, and maybe it's the same in the American Standard Version of 1901, where it says, not for filthy lucre. I remember as a boy hearing that phrase and wondering, what is that about? It just sounds bad. Filthy lucre. But then a few years later, perhaps in the early 1970s, the New American Standard came along and said, not with greed. 
So this is a good place to make the point that money can corrupt religion and corrupt leaders and churches and corrupt any of us. So this is not an argument against money itself. It's an argument against power and greed and materialism. Filthy lucre. I want to suggest one more thing before I close the video. After the video, go to Philippians 2 and read verses 1 through 11 about humility and respect. Thank you for listening.